Anything God has done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anybody, God can do for you. One of my favorite quotes by the theologian and pastor A.W. Tozer, he wrote that several decades ago. Anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anybody, he can do for you. Today, in our sermon series, we come to the story of Gideon. And Gideon is mentioned in another place in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 11, in a, a section of the scriptures which is called the, the Faith Hall of Fame. It's a listing of all these wonderful men and women of God who, who showed great faith. And so they're honored in Hebrews chapter 11. And, and since Gideon's name is included in the Faith Hall of Fame, one would think that he was a man of great faith, a, a leader among leaders, a spiritual giant. But in fact, when we, as we're going to see this morning, when we first meet him in Scripture, he was anything but those things. Now, Gideon's life story is recorded in chapters 6, 7, and 8 of the Old Testament book of, of Judges. We didn't have time to read all three of those chapters, so we just read the first 23 of chapter 7. But we're going to be looking at portions of that Scripture this morning. And so you can either follow along on the screen behind me, or you can look in your Bible or on your Bible app as we kind of dip in and out of the Scripture looking at Gideon's story. So, first, the historical setting. You should know that the book of Judges happens during a very, very low point in the life of the nation of Israel. Um, This period is made up of seven repeated cycles. Cycles in which the people of Israel would rebel against God. They would begin to uh, fall into temptation, worship the gods of the people around them, and turn from God. They would suffer painful consequences of that. They would cry out to God for help. And then God would respond by sending them a leader or a judge who would deliver them, who would, who would uh, help them and, and help and God work through them to save them. Thus, we have the name of the book as Judges. And for a while, the people would return after the end of the cycle. They would return to God. But then again, after the judge would die, they would rebel and the cycle would start all over again. Seven times in the book of Judges. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> I, I, how many of us have gone through a cycle spiritually like that, where, where we, we were following God, we, we kind of fall into temptation, we fall away through apathy or deliberate choices that we make. We fall into a rut, a cycle, and the same old tape plays over and over on the screen of our life. And we get to the place where we say, God, I need help, save me, things are better for a while. We say it's going to be different this time, and boom, we slide back into the same old bad pat- patterns and habits and sins. And we cry out for God to help us again. Wash, rinse, repeat. Well, that was a cycle the people of Israel kept repeating. But God, being the God that he is, the God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, quick to save, being this kind of God, God would send judges to help these sinful people in spite of their inability, seeming inability to learn from their mistakes. And so we come to this story, and it's the fourth cycle. Gideon's the fourth judge that is sent. And his leadership begins with the same phrase that got all the other judges in their eras of leadership started. Judges 6 1 says this Once again, the Israelites did evil on the side of the Lord. Well, this time, the consequence of their doing evil, which was a decision to worship other gods and reject the God of their fathers, of Israel, it came in the form of attacks by a group of people called the Midianites. 
You see, God will often allow us to suffer the consequences of our sinful choices so that we will come to our senses and turn to him. Just kind of a basic parenting principle, isn't it? If we never allow our children to experience the consequences of wrong choices, if we always bail them out, if we always step in and intervene, if we always enable, what happens? Well, they'll never completely grow into mature, healthy, productive, functioning adults. And it's much the same with God the Father and and we as his people. If God did not allow us to experience the consequences of our wrong choices, we would never completely grow into a mature believer in Christ. He gives us free will. He doesn't make us make good choices. He doesn't cause us or make us to make bad choices. And that was what was happening with the people of Israel. And apparently they were kind of stuck. Um, They weren't moving forward very well in their growth. Kind of arrested development, I guess, as the people of God. So back to Gideon. When we look at Gideon's story, when we first see him, he's not all that. He's kind of a chicken little. But he's the classic example of a person that God chooses to use. He's a timid, scared farm boy who becomes a national hero. And against incredible odds, God works through him to save his people. So we discover Gideon in Judges 6, and Israel has fallen under the power of the Midianites for the past seven years. And it's interesting to note that, um, that the relationship between the Midianites and the Israelites hadn't always been negative and hostile. In fact, it had been quite good for a while, uh, because Moses, remember Moses, his father-in-law was Jethro, who was a Midianite. But somehow or another, the relationship has soured between the two people. And read what, listen to what happens, Judges 6. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites, things were so bad, that they cried out to the Lord for help. So here's the picture. We know from chapter 8, verse 10, that there's 135,000 alien invaders. This huge force of Midianites. And then you have Israel, God's chosen people, who have seen God work in powerful ways, time and again, and defeat the odds. They're hiding in caves. There seems to be little hope. And where do we find our hero? When we come across Midian for the first, Gideon for the first time, we find him threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Now, now, to thresh wheat effectively, you need to be above the ground, right? So that the wind can blow and separate the chaff from the wheat. And he's so scared of the Midianites that he's hiding out, trying to, at the bottom of a wine press, trying to get a little bit of food for his, his family, who are no doubt hid away somewhere in a cave. And not only did God find Gideon hiding at the bottom of a wine press, he finds him in a place called Ophrah, a name which means dustiness, not exactly an inspiring location to find a great leader. But when God wants to use somebody, he often will turn to the nobodies. That's what we see in large part in the story of Gideon. God taking an ordinary person to accomplish Extraordinary things. It happened in Gideon's life. It happens throughout the scriptures. It can happen in your life and my life. 
And in Gideon's story, we're going to find three responses that we need to take as God's people if we want to be people of faith used by him to do, to do extraordinary things. The Apostle Paul writes this about how God works with ordinary people. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You know, it's it's comforting to me that when God looks for somebody to use, he doesn't always focus on the best and the brightest who are doing heroic things. For example, he finds Moses in the desert, a fugitive from justice, a reluctant leader. He finds David in out in the fields, a young man, a young teenage boy tending sheep. And here he finds Gideon at the bottom of a wine press. When God wants to turn a nobody into somebody, the cool thing is he takes the nobody just as they are. So God approaches Gideon with this opportunity to be a leader. How does he respond? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Kind of ironic. He's hiding at the bottom of a wine press. Mighty warrior. But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has this all happened to us? Why, where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So if we want to be people, what we can learn from this, if we want to be people of faith used by God to do great things, first we must be honest. We must be transparent with our thoughts, our doubts, our skepticism. There's no point in trying to hide them from God, right? He already knows them. And that's what Gideon does. He responds with words like if, why, where, but. He's not sure if he can trust God. God has not met his expectations of God. But that does not deter God, and God takes Gideon right where he is. Skepticism, doubts, reluctance, inadequacies and all. And look what the angel says to him next. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my entire family. In other words, to paraphrase, he says, you've got the wrong family, God. We're the poorest family in the whole tribe. We don't have any financial backing. We're not influential. We're nothing special. We're not connected. We're weak. How can we launch a campaign against 135,000 enemy soldiers? And then getting as a caveat, he says, even if you pick my family, you've picked the wrong one from the family. You're the wrong guy. I'm the youngest. I'm the weakest. I'm a runt. I'm a coward. Hardly a response that you'd expect from a soon-to-be military leader. If he were a hero like in the movies, he'd have pulled a, a Stallone or an Eastwood, go ahead and make my day, or, or Schwarzenegger, I'll be back, something like that. But instead, Gideon makes excuses. And in fact, he still has doubts, and he makes three requests of God to make sure that he really knows that God means what he says, that God's going to do what he says. He's not going to leave him hanging. And so the first thing is he brings a goat for a sacrifice, and fire falls from heaven and burns it up. That's a pretty impressive sign. Getting still unsure. He says, I'm going to lay out a fleece in the morning. If the fleece is wet but the ground is dry, I'll know you're with me. That happens. 
He's still not convinced. He says, well, let's reverse it. I'll do it again. And this time they'll make the fleece dry and the ground wet. God does it. Gideon's hardly a man exemplifying leadership, potential, and great faith. Hardly a man you'd think would end up in the Faith Hall of Fame, but he does. He was honest with God about where he was. He was vulnerable. He was weak. He was afraid. Interestingly, just the kind of person that God chooses to use. Do you doubt that God could use you? Do you, do you wonder where God is and what he's doing? Do you have a little bit of skepticism or doubts or fears? That's okay. God knows that. Be honest with him like Gideon. It won't change God's plans for your life. God's response to Gideon is God's response to you and me. I'm sending you. Go in the strength that you have. I'll provide all the rest. I will be with you. When Hudson Taylor, a well-known missionary, first arrived in Shanghai, China, in the mid-1800s, other missionaries viewed him as a poor, unconnected nobody. They thought for sure he was going to fail. But he became famous for becoming the courageous missionary pioneer to the inland provinces, the, the scary areas, the rural areas, the unsafe areas of China. He founded the China Inland Mission in 1865, and thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children in China came to faith in Christ. Later, when he was back in Britain, a leader of the Church of Scotland said to Taylor, you must sometimes be tempted to be proud because of the wonderful way God has used you. I doubt if any man living has had greater honor. Taylor answered, on the contrary, I often think that God must have been looking for someone small enough and weak enough for him to use. And then he found me. What about you? Has God been calling you to do something? Is he looking for someone who... Who, who has what it takes and he's asking you? Maybe you sense that, but you're trying to convince God that he's chosen the wrong person. That person over there, they're more outgoing. They have a stronger faith. They'd be better at sharing their faith with that person that we both know who needs Jesus. That person's more courageous. They're more articulate. They, they should be the person to take a stand for, for biblical values. In Gideon's case, God called a person who was struggling with unanswered questions, and who felt woefully inadequate. But oddly, it seems, as we look at Scripture, if God, God is often just looking for somebody who's weak enough and who realizes it, that he can use. In Romans 8.31, God says, If God be for us, who can be against us? You don't have to be an extraordinary person. In fact, that can be a hindrance sometimes. If a person has all sorts of gifts and abilities and achievements, the tendency can be sometimes to operate in our own strength. So God, more often than not, will choose to do the ordinary or choose to do the extraordinary through ordinary people. What's the second response that should be here? Well, Gideon, as we see, is not exactly a sterling example of responding to God quickly. He's very reluctant. He throws out several tests. But to his credit, in the end, he's obedient. And that's what we're called to be. We, we, if we want to be people of faith who are used greatly of God, we must be obedient. Jesus himself said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and, and obey it. And this is interesting to me. The first assignment that God gives Gideon is his hardest one. He doesn't say, go and conquer the Midians, Midianites right away. He asks him to do something at home. You know, it's much easier to be called somewhere where people don't know us and have us labeled, right? 
It's another thing to be called to serve God right where we are. Listen to the first assignment God gives Gideon in Judges 6. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the bull as a second offering. And it says, so Gideon took his servants and did as the Lord told him, but he was afraid of his family and the men of the town. So he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Now, did you notice whose altar it is he tears down? It's his dad's, his father's. By tearing it down, Gideon was saying, my whole family, led by my father, has been worshiping the wrong God all these years. They've been embracing the wrong worldview. They've been embracing the wrong values. They've been taking the wrong lifestyle. He's risking the disapproval of his family as well as his neighbors and friends. And the reality is is that we need to prove ourselves faithful at home before God is going to use us elsewhere. If Gideon had begun, think about it, if he had begun by conquering the Midianites, he could have returned home with a lot more credibility. He would have come home a hero. It would have been easy for him to say, let's get away, do away with this Baal worship because of the newfound fame and celebrity. But Gideon had to begin by being obedient, and that started in his own house. Do you ever find yourself limiting your Christian faith and witness in life because of what other people think? Because family members or friends or neighbors or coworkers or classmates or teammates I become upset or, or offended. It was his dad's idol. He goes and smashes it. Who's going to pay for it? Who does he think he is? Does he think he's better than us? In those days, an attack on a god was seen as an attack on a, on a local government who supported that god. In this case, Baal was the Canaanite god. Asher was the Canaanite fertility goddess. Gideon belongs to the the least influential family in the tribe, tearing down this altar wasn't going to win him any popularity contests. In fact, it could cost him his life. Sure enough, the next morning, as we read his story, a mob forms to kill whoever was responsible. They discover it's Gideon. They yell out to his family, bring out your son. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. His life is at risk. But obeying God isn't always going to be the safest route. We can expect fireworks now and then, especially if we step out of faith close to home. We might upset some traditions. We might even expect a ride or two. But like Gideon, we're called to be obedient first at home. Now, thankfully, Gideon's father comes to his senses, realizes his priorities, and, and he stands up for his son. And Gideon's life is spared. By the way, some people criticize Gideon in this story because he destroys the altar at night instead of during the day, some huge stand and tears it down in front of people and he does it at night. And so people sometimes are a little critical of that. But God didn't tell him to do it by day. God didn't tell him not to be afraid. Obedience was essential. Heroism was optional. General Omar Bradley from World War II, said bravery is the capacity to perform properly, even when scared half to death. And I think that probably describes Gideon in this story. So we're going to close the story up here now. So Gideon's army 
Uh, he, he blows the horn. He rouses the people. He gets 32,000 soldiers. So it's a lot, but nothing compared to 135,000. Doesn't seem like a fair fight. And then God does this. Judges 7. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian in, into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. If I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Gideon takes them to the water. They're tested. Only 300 men remain, which now makes the odds 450 to one. Not very good odds. But God does not rely upon size or, or numbers. God is pleased when we come to him and realize just how much we need him. And when we're ready to rely upon his power, because that's when we really can see God do something great in our lives for his glory and for the benefit of the people around us. It's when we get out of his way and let him work in us and through us. But how do we do that? How do we get out of God's way? I think there's a helpful comment made in Judges 6, 34. Then the spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. In Hebrew, the language, it means the spirit clothed himself with Gideon, which I, I like that picture. All of a sudden, it wasn't Gideon working in his own strength. It was God working through him. That's the key, right? To rely upon and depend upon the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah 4, 6. And then the story comes full circle Getting his men encircle a camp. They take some torches and clay pots, their swords, of course, trumpets. They surround them. They blow the, the horns. They crash the open the, the clay pots. They, they wave the lights. They shout. And the men of Midian are disoriented. They're confused. They begin to lash out each other uh, in the darkness, in the confusion. And Israel ends up in winning the day and chasing them out of their country. That same power that was at work through Gideon is available to each one of us today. The Apostle Paul wrote this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He's quoting Jesus. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, if we go in our own strength, We'll get in God's way. God won't use us completely and fully until we go in weakness and depend upon his Holy Spirit. As Bruce Larson puts it, the power of God was suddenly released when I gave up being invulnerable. No matter your life situation today, God is ready, willing, and completely able to change your life around. God will absolutely use you to do extraordinary things, but first we need to be honest with him. We need to be humble we need to respond in obedience and we're called to rely upon and be filled with his Holy Spirit. Anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done in any place, God can do here. Anything God has done for anybody ever, he can do for you and me. Let's be people of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for the example of 
of Gideon, a flawed, imperfect, pretty ordinary guy just like us. Lord, we thank you that, um, that you call us to a life of faith, that you call us to a life of adventure, living in our faith every day, living it out. Lord, help us to be people who are obedient, who walk with you, and help us to believe that you truly can and will do the things that you've done in the past, that you'll do them in our lives today. We thank you, Father. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand as we respond to the word we just received.